morning, everybody. Happy Sunday morning. Um, as Andy mentioned, he has asked me to continue. Is there feedback on me? You want me to move? Okay. Um, he's asked me to speak with us today, to share a message today. And um, I'm, we're going to be continuing on the Sermon on the Mount, which is where we have started out. And this is probably one of the most well-known portions of Scripture that exists, whether it's within the church or even outside the church. People have heard of the Lord's Prayer, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They've heard the Sermon on the Mount, particularly the part that blessed are, the blessed are, the blessed are. As we are moving forward now, we're moving more into the contrast. And Andy started that last week. But the contrasts are between what Jesus is saying, you have heard it said, but I say. And he's talking today about earth, about oaths, excuse me, contrasts of between what you've heard and what I am telling you. One of the most interesting things is that word, but I say or but I tell. And in the Greek, that word tell is lego. Like lego lamb. And lego uh, means to set an argument to rest. So what Jesus is saying is, you have heard it said, but I'm the final word. Doesn't that majesty and power of Jesus just blow up at you, but I say, and that's the end of it, there's no more discussion, but I say, and he says this frequently throughout the rest of the contrast, specifically verses 33 through 37 in Matthew 5 are talking about oaths, but we're going to kind of make it a bigger uh, application today, we're going to take it into the realm of just plain being honest, and down to the depths of integrity. So, specifically today, we're going to be talking about the integrity with God, then we're going to move to integrity with others, and then we're going to move to integrity within ourselves. It's kind of interesting. In honor of God's word, let's go ahead and stand while we read these particular verses for us today. And again, this is Matthew 5, 33 through 37. Again, you have heard that it was said, do, said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. Go ahead and be seated. Now you watch how much we can dig out of those verses, which normally when we're just reading the scriptures, it's like, boom, move on. You know, we just kind of blow through it and we don't even see how much depth there is into a lot of these things. Before we begin, though, I wanted to share with you a couple of thoughts. First of all, the Bible speaks to us today. It is vital for our health, for our growth, and for our life. The Spirit continues to speak through the ancient days, but even in the very modern world. The Bible is transcendent. 
It transforms us. It is a book full, full, full of power. It's like the ocean, honestly, because we can sit on the beach and look at it. Beautiful ocean, nice book. We can put on a swimming suit and sort of play around, put on goggles. We can even put on scuba tanks. And we see more, and we see more, and we're just amazed at what's under that surface of the water. We can get in a submarine and go deeper and deeper and deeper, and it's like, oh my gosh. That's what the scriptures are. They are inexhaustible in their depth, their information, their guidance, their power, their joy, their balance. So really, really encourage whatever we do as we walk as Christians, we never neglect our time in that place. That's where our life is. A few weeks ago, Larry was giving us a lovely sermon, and he mentioned a book called Christian Counterculture by John Stott. And that book talks all about the Sermon on the Mount, and the title of the book, that counterculture, he kind of sums up in this particular quote. I believe Jesus meant for his Sermon on the Mount to be obeyed. If the church realistically accepted and lived by the standards and values as here set forth, it would be the alternative society Jesus always intended it to be and would offer the world an authentic Christian counterculture. This is quite a quote to aspire to. If we really take all of this seriously and live this way, what would that say to the world? What would that mean for our church if we took this seriously? If we spoke to one another with love and respect, even when we disagree with the other person? If we could confront with love, speak the truth in love, which is really hard for me because I'm a nine on an Enneagram, so... I'm a peacemaker and confrontation is like, oh, let's just get this. Um, very hard. But not to be outspoken about our position on how we feel about something without considering how the other person feels about it. We just sort of want to blast with what we think is so important and so true. And in our culture today, with the polarizations that we have and the ability to, to offend others by what we want to talk about is just huge. Can we be humble? Can we speak the truth in love? Can we not lie, which today we're going to find out how hard that really is, perhaps. Um, and can we actually not gossip? And the way that I think we might look at when we're talking about other people, because we talk about other people. I mean, Carrie's got a tournament to do next week, and blah, blah, blah. But everything that we are mentioning, when we're mentioning somebody else's name, can we have those words be coming out enveloped in love? And not criticism, and not judgment, and not negative, but in love. Can we do that? Can you imagine the, the world is dying for people? Dying for people like this because everybody is very rough, confrontational. We can be different. So today we're going to take three views. We're going to take the Old Testament, then we're going to take what Jesus said, and then we're going to take um, today's application. So in 33, we'll go back to that. Again, you have heard it said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. 
Now, the Pharisees, of course, get involved in this. And this is why Jesus has a situation where he needs to confront what's commonly being taught. The Pharisees did this whenever there was something that was uncomfortable, like divorce. God said there's, there's not to be divorced. Jesus later says, except in cases of marital unfaithfulness. But the Pharisees had just gobs of reasons why it would be okay to divorce. The most outrageous one I ever heard was the fact that she burned the toast. So I'm a divorcer. And remember, in that culture, if there was a divorce, that's serious business for the woman. Serious, because where is she going to go now? It isn't even like it is today. Very serious for that woman. And so the Pharisees had ways of making life easier. Now, when Jesus says, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you made to the Lord, this is not a direct quote from the Old Testament, but it's not inaccurate. So let me just give you a couple examples of what he's referring to. In Leviticus 19.12, it is said, you shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your Lord your God. In Numbers 30, verse 2, it says, When a man vows a vow to the Lord, he shall not break his word. So, that's kind of what Jesus is summarizing when he says it is said. Um, the Pharisees make a twist to this. And they say, well, it really doesn't mean what it says. It means we shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. It's not particularly talking about perjury. It's talking more about profanity. Now, in the time of Jesus, there was lots of stuff going on. There was frivolous swearing, where it says, I'm going to make an oath or a vow even when I don't need to. And they'll say things like, may I never see the comfort of Israel again. Or, by my head, it is. I mean, these are kind of crazy things for us to hear, but that's what was going on then. That's what he was hearing. They also had evasive swearing, which will make sense in just a moment. And the evasive swearing was to swear by anything other than God. I swear by my head. Something other than the name of God. They had elaborate rules about this. They didn't need to care so much about anything as long as they did not use the Lord's name in vain. Now Jesus actually circles back around on this in uh, Matthew chapter 23, where he's going through his list of woes. Woe to this and woe to that and woe to the next thing. So this is a little bit lengthy, but let me just show you how it kind of jumps around and is very consistent throughout. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by the oath. You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So he who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. But if we come back to what we're talking about today, he goes on to say in verses 34 and 36, But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear.
square by your head, so you cannot make one hair white or black. Well, you kind of can do that today. <laughs> but the point is, God is in everything, so you can't say, I'm not going to swear by this, but I'm going to swear by that, or by this, or by that. God is, has created everything. He's in charge of everything. So Jesus is saying, it shouldn't be necessary to take an oath at all. Because your word should be what your word is. These contortions are irrelevant. Now, I wanted to take this and just step it in a little bit further because that kind of snapshot right there may not necessarily apply to what we do this week or last week. But I want to explore a little bit on some of the things that are in the scriptures definitely for us today. And do we kind of brush over them? And are we missing a huge opportunity for great treasure in our lives? So, let's see what um, comes up. Do we go ahead, Brian? Are we taking Jesus seriously? Do we accept his real invitations that he offers us? Or do we just say, yes, that's wonderful, but that's really not for me? So I want to read these carefully because in a moment we're going to do that prayer, prayer, and share routine. Okay. So these are just some of the invitations and promises that Jesus offers to us that we just sort of put up here to see which one of them really land on you as something that, oh my gosh, if that were only true. Okay. So therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Your father knows that you need all of these things. Strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Do not worry. Really. I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. Because apart from me you can do nothing. Abide, abide, abide. What in the world does that mean? Well, we could talk about that. I mean, that's one of those ocean depths. Abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Then the beautiful one, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Ugh. How we in our culture cry for rest. How much we want that. I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Hmm. I don't think the church today really has the reputation of being people of the Sermon on the Mount. Do we love one another? Is that how we're viewed in our communities, our world? So, what I invite us to do right now is to pick out one of those that really, oh my gosh, if I could just not worry, if I could just Speak with love to one another. If I could just abide or rest. And break up into two or three or whatever people that you want and just take a couple minutes and say, wow, that one would just mean the most to me. That's important to me. And let's just take a couple minutes and share.
You got your go-tos? Your seeds are planted, your wannabes, your ladyhood. So, let's move on. Let's move on. In verse 37, it says, now this one sounds like such an easy verse to just sort of blow by again. And yet, we could camp on this particular verse for weeks and months in our own lives and desires. Let your word be simply yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. So in other words, Jesus is saying conditions are irrelevant. You make all of these rules that go along with what you say and whether you have to abide by them or not. But just let your yes be yes and your no be no. And anything other than this is from the evil one. Now, a little more Greek here. The word let, L-E-T, let, let your word be simply. Let is the present tense. It's a verb, and verbs in Greek are just huge with information. It's the present tense, which means it goes on and on and on. It's almost like a movie picture. It just keeps running and running and running. So it's not like an occasional time. It just goes on forever. It's also an imperative word, imperative verb, which means it's not optional. It's a command. So Jesus is saying, always, let. Your word be simply yes, yes, or no, no. Always be completely honest. And then he adds, anything more than this comes from the evil one. So, so let's look at that a little bit. The source Jesus is saying is either comes from evil, which would be our own hearts, which tend to overflow, not always in the best direction, or from the evil one, which Jesus calls a liar, and the father of lies. So which is it? So I checked out a whole bunch of different translations, and six of them say anything else comes from evil, and 19 of them said comes from the evil one. So I went to uh, the Strong's, and the Strong's is a, fair, it's a very easy book to use, actually. It's a concordance. For those of us who are not theologians, we didn't go to seminary. This brings out tons of information for us that's pretty easy to use. So when you look at Strong's, it has anything else is from evil, and then in parentheses it says one. So that evil one is in parentheses. But when you look at the beginning root of those words, whether you're using it for uh, Satan or for our own hearts, it comes from something that means pain-ridden. Anything else is coming from the misery that comes out of the pain of not being honest. So anything else beyond yes, yes, and no, no is from the evil. So let's take a look at that. Does this remind anybody of when you go into a courtroom and they say, do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? That kind of thing. Well, for those of you who might remember, I'm dating myself for sure here, the old Dragnet show with Jack Webb in it. Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. Just the facts. So if we really listen to ourselves and to each other, we just sort of go on and on and on with information. And sometimes that gets us into a little bit of trouble. 
So let's look a little bit beyond the integrity with God and the oaths that we were talking about and go into integrity with others. Okay. The real reason a lot of people inflate their words or they swear is to impress others by trying to accentuate how sincere we are so that we will gain acceptance from another person and basically get their agreement or get what we want, ultimately. It can be an effort to convince or even go so far as to manipulate. And this can be a really very deep issue. Dallas Willard is kind of a quote from him. In this situation, we are making use of people, trying to bypass their understanding and judgment to trigger their acceptance. Their consent will not be fully informed. Now, those of you who have kids, are kids really good at this? Try and convince you of what they should have or where they should go or who should do what. But we all do it with all kinds of opportunities and interactions between one and another. And I keep remembering Jesus said simply yes or no. Anything more. And there, the Greek says, anything more than what is necessary. Add-ons don't respect other people. This is so interesting when we think about our conversations. In fact, um, my husband has worked, my husband's a psychotherapist, which can be real tricky. <laughs> but he has done a lot of work with um, writers in, in the area. And one of the quotes he uses a lot from John Townsend is, anything beyond explanation is just getting into exaggeration and trying to convince. So we can explain what's going on, but as soon as we go off and try to shape the reaction or the opinion of others, then we're getting into a more difficult area that's not necessarily yes, yes, or no, no. So I invited my friend Carrie up here. <laughs> now Carrie and I are both dietitians, which is why we're having the, the topic in our conversation here is the planetary diet. You've got yours all memorized. <laughs> and in this in this setting, Carrie is my supervisor. So get you have to get that drip here. Okay. Well, hey Jonas, anything for you? I'm uh -oh. sure that you've read the article in today's dietitian on the planetary diet. Yeah.
that much about as we present that we do. And the, one of the best examples of this is Facebook or Instagram. Oh my God. Everything is out there that is the best. We always are being presented in the best situation possible. And what impact does that have on other people? It discourages them. It builds in unrealistic expectations. It builds in comparisons. Many people will say it causes depression because we look at everybody else's beautiful showcase life and we think, I don't know that. At the very least, it is a just gigantic time sucker all the time that we spend on comparing and looking at what everybody else is doing. So we go back to that phrase that Jesus lets you yes be yes and you know be no. What a challenge that is. Sometimes we exaggerate to present our best credentials. Um, and I've got to talk about vulnerability. When I first moved out here, which was, oh gosh, 20 years ago, this is San Diego, I come from a job that was difficult to get a job here because for dietitians in San Diego, well, you know, everybody wants to be in San Diego, they want to work here. So the job market is very tight. And, that, and I had come from a department head situation in Florida, but it was a very unique one. So when I came out here, I wasn't going to even be considered for like a dietitian type level job. And so I had a really hard time with it. I contacted the place where I worked back in South Florida, and I said, well, what if we just sort of embellish the title of what I did so it wasn't quite so specific and it would be more broad? And they said, oh, sure, fine, go ahead, do it anyway. So I did. And I got a job, and it was not good at all. It was a disaster. It was not the job for me because what it was embellishing was what I didn't want to do, but that's what was available. And so it worked out really badly for them, for me, for everything. And so I really learned a lot there. And you know, it's hard because we think we have so much on the line and we put so much pressure on ourselves. And so we just sort of color outside the line and hope for the best. It's hard to stay right there. And you know, that takes a lot of trust. Like we're talking about in the promises from Jesus, that Jesus is going to figure out how to have the best come out of that, whether we would define it right now as the best or not, but to trust with that. I failed, totally failed, but I learned from that. So what about actual lies that we tell? Now, that resume was a lie. And certainly when I did the interview, I didn't explain this. It wasn't exactly accurate. Um, but how do we sort of stretch the truth with one another? Examples might be, oh, Randy's out running errands. If somebody calls and wants to talk to him, well, he's not out running errands. He's standing right there. Or like I did with Carrie, oh, yes, I'm almost done with that request when I haven't even started it or pulled out the paperwork, or maybe I'm close to getting to the paperwork. But yeah, you know, um, how many times has my husband asked me whether or not I've got all the tax stuff ready? Sure. I've got the folder right over there. It's empty, but who wants to mention that? <laughs> Or people talk about their secret savings accounts where they'll take a certain amount of money and stash it away and nobody really knows about that. Well, that's not being totally honest. Or this is a good one. I've worked hard for my money, so I don't have to pay all those taxes if I can get away with it. Oh, how many 
what times do we hear? I'm not going to do that. Look what the government does with that money. On and on and on and on. Or they make a mistake on certain bills or invoices or receipts, and we just sort of miss the fact that there's a mistake there if it's in our favor. All of those things just sort of keep a pile on us. And in our busy way of doing life, we just blow past it and we don't even let it register. When we, when we get into just these little lies, we have so much to lose and so little to gain, really, when you look back over the whole thing and what, what, what came out of all of that, very little to gain. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. The Quakers have a term for this. They call it plain speech, talking without distortions and without spin. <coughs> we even have spin doctored. And if anybody, very honestly here, if anyone of you can recommend a source of news, media news, it's not biased, I would love to know. Because to me, it is one of the scariest things we're dealing with in this country, that, that actual information that's unbiased and unpuffed up, not available. But uh, seriously, if you know, all I can go to is BBC News. That's the best I can come up with. So if you have any other suggestions, I would love it. Okay, but then let's move quickly into what about lack of integrity directed at ourselves? This is where it really gets interesting and intriguing, but it's something that we can work on even inside of ourselves. We need to look inside and see what really motivates us. What fears are there? Or what do we really want? What are our desires? What's, what are we really striving after? But first we have to want to look inside and we have to see what problems might be there. Looking at where is our real engine coming from. Usually our drive is to look good to others or to feel better about ourselves. And that's often sourced in insecurity or insincerity or the big one, I think, is anxiety. Lots of anxiety. We're conflicted about something, a subject, or a situation, and so we just sort of keep talking. Have you ever noticed that? I, I keep going back to that proverb that says, where there are many words, sin is not often. When we have the point we want to make, or we're not quite sure, we're insecure about something, we just keep talking and talking and talking and talking. And oftentimes the volume increases, and that's kind of interesting as well. We need to say this right. We need to convince the person. We need to look good. Don't challenge me on this because that's just going to increase my anxiety. And I've got my opinion, and I'm going to make sure that you know what it is. Sometimes we use words just to crowd our inability to sort through and think about things in our own minds about how we feel about something and, and how, what conviction do we have there? So we just sort of start talking and keep on going with that. Sometimes we're also talking because we feel like we're not enough. And so we kind of puff ourselves up. And if we follow that concept down to the root word, that goes down, that puff up is really rooted in pride. So it kind of goes around where we're feeling anxious and yet now we're just going to puff ourselves up, which looks prideful, but we're really and all of this stuff is going on inside of us. And if we think about the energy, when there's something we really don't like or we hate 
or we're really anxious about, it's also exhausting. And if we wonder, does this really need to be talked about? Is this something that is useful to the person I'm speaking to? Or do we just want to rant and rave? Well, we fill up the airspace with words pretty easily. Another big energy sucker is when we don't like something, but we don't say anything. We just sort of stuff our feelings because we don't want to get into it. That would be our mind. Okay? And that really causes tension and stress, too. So we're not being integrous with ourselves. We're still not necessarily responding how we feel. Or maybe we did take the big plunge and we just confronted and said how we really did feel. And now we're so anxiety-driven over that, we don't know what to do because, oh my gosh, what if they don't like me now? What if I didn't say something right? What's their opinion of me? I used to do this a lot in my life, and honestly, I've become much more aware of it in the recent time, and it's been a real life changer for me. Because ever since I was a kid, I would throw out what I would call radar. I'd say something in a conversation or to somebody just so they would have to answer me, and somehow that would give me an impression of what they thought of me, of the radar. That is a horror. And you know, I'm not 18 right now, right? So it's taken a long time to learn all of that and to just really begin to identify what's going on, where are my words coming from, and what do I have to gain from it? So it brings us full circle, using God to increase our credibility, using others to be whatever we want done, or even abusing ourselves by not being clear and truthful about what's going on inside. So this lack of integrity goes all over the place. And we really thought this was such a simple thing we could just blow through. But remember, we're all in this together. And we have mountains and mountains of love for one another and lots of grace for one another. We are the church. And in my experience, this group of people is different from how I have experienced church in the past. We have great potential here. And as we dig in, and strive to follow what we're being shown through the scriptures. We have a great opportunity to have a different world here than is out there. And it starts here. Now, a primary objective in training to be like Christ is to break that power of what we would call reactions. Buttons, triggers, how we think we react to. My husband and I call them trip buyers. Oh my gosh, you don't really trip that buyer. But boom. So there's a huge difference between response and reactions. And much of what we're talking about here is sort of on the epidermal level, layer of our bodies. It's like, this is how we just normally do things. So it sounds wonderful, Joyce, like why don't we just all do this? But how do we actually start to change how we respond, how, what our reactions are? And if you think about it, everything in the world and everything inside of us is interfaced by this body 
So gaining control of what the body does in word and all of this type of thing is really a very important piece to how are we going to go about doing that. How do we escape these things and start to grow into something that is not the same automatic response? I'm so glad you asked that question. One of the big ways and the ways of starting to train our body to do things differently is silence and solitude. Now, what could be more opposite as our current lifestyle? Many people will say, I can't sit in silence. I've got to be busy. I've got to have the TV on. I've got to have somebody to talk to. I've got to have something to Wow, what an opportunity and challenge that is. Silence and solitude. It's just life-changing, honestly. And when we say silence, we mean to escape noise. No TV, no radio, nobody to talk to. Very different from being quiet, it's just silent. I was talking with a friend, um, and we were talking about having a period of silence every day in the beginning of the day, and she would say, that's so hard for me, but I've got to, I've got to read, I've got to run, my body's in. And so she came up with this, this plan for herself, and I so loved it that I've kept it in my head all along, and she says, okay, I will have my first cup of coffee with Jesus. And so for the duration of that first cup of coffee, she's going to sit in silence. I can do that. So, we also have something else up our sleeve, and Andy already referred to it. We've talked about this for a very long time, but we're actually going to pull it off and do it. And it's going to be a half-day silent retreat. Now, I don't know what Andy's doing with his net, but I can tell you what it will be like for the ladies. And it's going to be on March 12th, which is a Saturday morning, and the Alejo Lagoon Nature Center, which is right off of Manchester, is lovely. It's got tons of trails, tons of benches, beaches right across the street. So the vision there is to meet like at 8.45. We'll have coffee there. Get yourself a cup of coffee to sort of gather. And then everyone's going to disperse for three hours. Three hours of peace and quiet. You can, we suggest that you not be connected. Like put your device on airplane mode so that nobody can text you or bug you or call you. This is really your sanctuary of time. You can read a book, you can do nothing, you can watch the bugs on the ground, you can bring a, bring a chair so you can go wherever you're comfortable. You can take a nap. You can talk to God, you can do whatever. But three hours of peace and quiet is fabulous. Then we will gather back together at the lagoon in the nature center area itself. And everybody, we're inviting you to bring a sack lunch, a sandwich, a crackers, or whatever you want. And we'll just sit around for a few minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, whatever. And just talk about what that morning meant to us individually. It's really amazing what comes out of everyone else's experience about that time. And then we done, voila, we're done. And it's I've done this a few times, and it's always been so important. We, it's like that first cup of coffee. It's like I don't have time to do that. I do a lot. The more kids you have, the longer it is. Um, but just. 
and see if that is a change for you as well. So, um, I wanted to leave you though, I'm done actually, but I wanted to read the message version of this particular section, Eugene Peterson's Bible, the message, okay? And this is the 533-37. And don't say anything you don't mean. This counsel is embedded deep in our traditions. You only make things worse when you lay down a smokescreen of pious talk, saying, I'll pray for you, and then never doing it. Or saying, God be with you, and not meaning it. You don't make your words true by embellishing them with religious lace. In making your speech sound more religious, it becomes less true. Just say yes, or no, when you manipulate words to get your own way or go wrong. Isn't that perfect? That is so perfect. So thank you, church. I appreciate it.